Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of FinTV. Today, I'm joined by Tilak Mahendran, who is the Senior Client Engagement Lead AI at IBM. Tilak, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being here on FinTV. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Well, why, why don't we do this? I like to always ask people, you know, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, your journey so far and uh, what you've been up to. Sure. So, um, as you said, my name is Tilak, Tilak Mahendran. Uh, 30 years of age, and I've been with IBM for the past seven years now because I've always been passionate about technology, software, and um, for the past five, six years now, also artificial intelligence. And I've, been, I've had the pleasure of um, building this center that we have here uh, in Munich, our IBM Watson headquarters um, here in Europe and in Germany. And um, it's been an exciting, exciting past three, four years to witness and observe our client discussions, how it's evolved from, you know, huge excitement about artificial intelligence. There's so many possibilities that we can do um, to, hmm, perhaps we should pay attention to certain elements here. So there's been lots and lots of things happening here. I'd say my main role here within the IBM Watson Center um, for the past three years has been um, understanding our clients' needs in the field of AI and helping and supporting them on their journey on creating artificial intelligence applications, whether it be a chatbot, whether it's um, um, understanding the health of your devices um, that the client may have uh, in, in, the, in the client space. And for the past year now, I've, always, uh, I've also been heavily involved in the space of how do we create trustworthy AI? How do we create explainability or in integrate this explainability uh, into the capabilities. And for me personally, this has been an uh, important step because um, I've always seen in life beforehand, um, there are certain things that don't seem quite as fair, where I assume some bias in this. And we've, we've seen certain elements of this about three, four years ago. So I'm excited to drive this topic um, here at IBM. Well, let's just, let's just dive in, I guess, you know, I mean, for full disclosure, and one of the things that you said to me when we first started talking was that you're not a supply chain expert, uh, you know, so I, I, what we're going to do is we're going to keep this conversation more along the lines of AI. And the reason I wanted to chat with you is because a lot of our audience, a lot of our supply chain members have been hearing about the wonders of AI for a long time. Um, and it almost is, it's as though AI is going to be this magic bullet that's going to solve all the problems, right? So um, talk to us about how one can use practical applications for AI. Yeah, absolutely. And as you correctly said, uh, I'm, I'm not a supply chain expert as such. Um, so here within the center, I've had many interactions with cross-industry clients of different types of industries. And as you correctly said, I would say in 2016, um, we've had this big moment of, hey, we have this, this area we can, we can focus on, we have that area focusing on. So we've had lots of clients coming to us to understand what are the possibilities. So how can we, for example, include AI in our machinery to understand um, what are the sensors telling us right now? What, what things can we extract and extrapolate from this to perhaps even predict future outages for certain systems? So we typically have 
um, very large clients here in the center, uh, which means one machine uh, or a day downtime in the machine would mean uh, you know a big big financial um, hits to to the specific plan. So that would be one specific thing that we've done. We've also explored then at the same time number of chatbots. So how can we integrate some AI functionalities into existing web pages, right? So now we've reached the stage where we are trying to understand how we can use chatbots, for example, for accessibility. How can we make this accessible for the older generation who may, um, who may feel more comfortable using a telephone to call people? Can we include it there within the call? So these types of discussions that we typically um, um, have here in the Watson Center. Another exciting aspect, I think, is also the space of autonomous driving. So we have a number of projects there right now, understanding different methodologies and methods of, of building these algorithms, whether it will be supervised learning, where we teach the system what is, you know, what, what is a good picture, what is a bad image, whether it's unsupervised learning, where the system itself is identifying different clusters to then um, um, draw a conclusion from this, or whether it's reinforcement learning, which is extremely exciting. You tell the system, hey, this is the outcome I want to achieve. I'll give you about two weeks now. You knock yourself out, you know, 24-7, try out different types of things and see what the output is on this. So lots of different exciting um, topics. What we've, however, seen now is also that we need to truly understand what we really want to achieve with our AI systems. This is something that was missing in the first few years where it was more of a general interest. And I think that has greatly changed in the past 24, 24 months. Well, you know, you talk about how you help clients through the journey of trying to get through, get AI implemented into their businesses. I guess the first thing that you do must be listen to people, understand what problems they're trying to solve. Do you think that there's still sort of a feeling in the, in the industry a little bit about uh, people saying, well, I just want AI, and they maybe don't even understand what, what it could do for them or why they're getting it? Right. I'll, I'll speak uh, a little behind the scenes of but what usually takes place here in the center, it's fascinating to see, you know, we have really good pre-discussions with our clients, direct discussions before, with our clients before they get to the center. And we get a fairly good understanding of whether the client is um, at a mature level uh, within the AI space. And we typically ask certain questions to just get a gist of the overall understanding of the client. Because when we do see the need of reiterating that, you know, perhaps a different system may make sense we have a number of strategies to try and get to this answer or perhaps to a different answer, but jointly going to the, getting to this answer. We have a number of agile methodologies to, to apply to this during our client visit to better understand, to truly understand what the end goal is, because typically from experience, um, those clients who, who haven't had the chance to um, invest in, uh, lots of time into under truly understanding how AI systems work today um, seem to have um, a higher possibility of having this um, uh, um, prediction or the, um, uh, the expectation um, that this particular AI system will not just solve the customer relationship problem, but also solve at the same time uh, or find the cure, for the cure for cancers. You know, it's, 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 we're at a fairly different stage in, in the AI world now. We do call it, you know, narrow AI. There's a good reason why we still call it a narrow AI because the AI systems we build today are fantastic at solving this particular one problem. You know, for example, quality inspection for LCD panels. They can understand it uh, because it's a fairly absolute answer, whether it's damage or not a damage. 
Uh, and that's not always the case um, with uh, our client examples that we have there. And um, we've, we are still working on understanding how to extract the right answers, um, but the methodologies do help here. Design thinking would be one of the bigger ones. So I guess if, if a company were looking at implementing AI, and, and again, I mean, I can only tell you the number of podcasts I've had where I've talked to people about, you know, AI machine learning, implementing it. It's, it's, like, it's like everybody knows they want it, but they kind of don't know why they want it or how they're going to get it. Do you think that, they, that for a com- if I'm hearing you right, for a company to succeed with the implementation of AI, they kind of need to understand what it is they're trying to solve, what processes they have, uh, what they've got right now that's working. And I, I guess this applies for all digital transformation. What is it that I'm trying to solve? How is it going to bring me closer to my client? What do you think in your experience in terms of the implementation of AI, why do companies succeed and why do they fail? Absolutely. I think you, you, you mentioned one particular san- sentence of understanding what you really want to achieve. Um, we get a number of requests of we want an AI chatbot. Um, however, when we do ask the question of why do you require um, an AI or HR chatbot or whatever chatbot you would like, um, you know, the answer is um, our, our customers are expecting. Did you do some customer research to really truly understand this? No, this is actually this was actually based off two complaints that they received out of the 600 emails that they received based on the system that they introduced. Um, so here, truly understanding would perhaps an extra channel, uh, an offline channel, make more sense to solve this particular example. So for this, we have a number of um, we've tried out a number of methodologies here. Um, in particular, understanding you know doing a, a, a bigger prioritization on the um, next steps that the client would like to take on their AI journey. When we have more time, we do a full-blown workout that, um, um, workshop that typically takes about two days to truly understand what are the main pain points of the, of the client so that, so that we can then truly map this to the AI systems um, that we have. Based on this, once we have the idea, we also strongly believe that you, know, you need to also include agile methodologies in the development of this. So we are working, uh, so for example, here in the Watson Center in Munich, we have our so-called IBM Garage, where we have a number of developers, um, also the lead developer um, um, for, for the IBM Garage, which is quite exciting to have such talented people here. So typically what we do is after we've done such a workshop for, for about two days, we then pull in our garage people, because our garage guys and girls, um, those are the, um, development people and the operations people. And they do a number of um, agile methodologies during development with the client, whether it be remote or together. One thing being, uh, which I find super exciting is um, one developer sitting with the client's developer, looking at the same screen and developing and coding together to get to the same level and to have the same understanding of why we've uh, made these particular decisions during development. So I think there are two sides which are quite important um, however, the first one, identifying the real pain point, um, will greatly influence the second aspect of this. And, and the kind of um, teams that, say, businesses need to have in order to have AI implemented within them. I mean, I know you're not an expert in supply chain, but clearly you, you can see the value in having the kind of AI technology implemented in today's modern supply chain. What kind of people do do teams need to have? Do they need to have data experts, experts in AI, uh, people that get technology? How easy is this? How hard? Yeah, so I think um, 
what we're hearing from our clients quite a lot is um, there is a certain challenge hiring data scientists right now. Um, data scientists seem to be going um, you know, to bigger IT companies, which obviously for during this phase um, of the AI evolution, it absolutely makes sense, which is why we have strong partnerships with clients who already have an IT team because they have a website, they have some sort of um, digitization that has already taken place in the last 10 years. Whether those are typically IT architects, um, we have um, um, designers, also something which is a big plus if the, if the client and when the client uh, provide the designers that we have here. And then what we typically do is based on who the customer brings to this, we then include our data scientists. We also include our UX and UI design. So also differentiating uh, here. And then at the end of this, we try to develop as one single team. Um, so to give you an example of um, our personal, of our IBM research that we do. So our, our IBM research facilities have grown immensely over the past 10, 15 years um, because we've seen a real need to connect the different locations that we have to make sure that we don't just include the different job roles and job titles that we have there and the different skills that are absolutely required, but also to include certain life perspectives, um, certain perspectives that other people may be missing. So, you know, looking at genders, looking at different um, skin colors, different backgrounds to, to make sure that we see the obvious things during development that may have a negative impact on the system and um, to the outside world and to the inside world of the company. Let's talk briefly about the current situation, the current pandemic that we're, we're living through. Mm. Have you seen practical applications of AI that can help companies through this type of uncertainty? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll start with a public um, services uh, project that we have uh, recently started and it's been released. So in Germany, you know, the pandemic, um, has been, you know, we've been feeling the pandemic for the past few months, um, and it's 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 having a bigger impact on us than we initially thought in January, in February, especially in Germany. And what we are seeing here right now is that uh, a lot of the older generation are struggling to get the right information or get the right information at the right time, and also distinguishing between. Um, a trustful source and a not so trustful source. So we've actually worked um, with the German government together to uh, implement a fairly simple chatbot that has that extra capability. So I mentioned those accessibility features earlier. So mm -hmm. understanding what are the current regulations and rules for the different counties that we have. So it's a federal system in Germany that we have. So for the different counties, we have different systems, uh, but also understanding how can we connect these, this particular chatbot with the local um, health institutes how can we connect this um, chatbot with the um, uh, local um, um, political bodies that we have so they can provide additional information and also at the same time, how can we make it accessible for the older generation? This is something that is ongoing um, right now that we are working on right now. So that's going quite well. Another thing we have seen um, is that companies are trying to focus on understanding where they can save um, certain um, uh, CO2 emissions or understanding how to be more um, climate aware. Um, right now, it seems that uh, a, a number of companies um, are trying out smaller projects to see are they able to introduce perhaps a CO2 advisor for internal um, business trips that they do to understand 
Are we able to learn from our previous data? Are we able to learn from the data that we have collected during COVID-19? Because it's immensely changed and we're seeing the difference in our business uh, numbers that we are collecting. How can we incorporate this into this? So this is another uh, bigger thing that we have going on. Um, so this is actually something we're working on with the Siemens uh, here in Munich. So very much looking forward for this to also be then implemented here in IBM internally. Um, we're throwing our, our brains into this project to see um, what comes out of this. So I think those are the bigger things I've seen um, that seemed quite different from the past. You know, I think with all the mountains of data that we produce, right, it's, it's obvious that we as humans have reached our capability, our limitations with how we process all of this data, right? Uh, and yet all of this data will allow us to get more insight into consumer behavior, into the opportunities that we have, the trends, et cetera. So we're, we're sort of sitting on a gold mine. And would, would, you, would you agree or is it safe to say that AI is probably the one tool that can help us uh, go through that gold mine? Absolutely. So um, when we decided to, um, to, to create this business unit called Watson and Watson IoT, we wanted to, uh, it took us a long time to be able to say, all right, now we are able to scale this on a much larger level than, than we used to. So we've seen a big development in the last 10, 15 years of you know, sensor prices falling down and compu uh, computing power immensely rising. So with this combined, we are now able to, as you correctly said, analyze larger and larger data sets with every, you know, with every year there's, there's new advancements in this. Um, we are currently working on our quantum computing, um, which is owned also by IBM. We're doing lots of research in this space. And this is actually something that is uh, located in Germany. Um, so this will be another big advancement. However, we are still seeing a big challenge of most of the data that is being collected or that we have collected in the past of not being structured enough for our systems to understand. So this is yeah. something that we are still working on, even in 2020, helping our clients to convert this unstructured format into a structured format or establishing and introducing processes to make sure that those um, data, that the data capture is already done in a standardized way. Because once we have this, uh, you know, the computing power, our services are ever evolving. However, this seems to be a, a bigger break right now than um, the technology. Do you know something else that I keep talking uh, to people about is the opportunities that are coming out of this crisis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the fact that, um, you know, uh, the coronavirus seems to have exposed a lot of weaknesses in certain supply chains, you know, a lot of cracks, um, things that really working that well. And the opportunity now lies in being able to perhaps create a more resilient supply chain, a more sustainable business model, you know, talk about new business models in general. How could AI help organizations reach those types of goals, especially around sustainability and around, uh, you know, a business model that is resilient? Yeah, uh, I think the key here is, is uh, gaining uh, a 360 view of what is taking place. Um, I think what we're seeing here also um, in Germany are discussions in media about, um, you know, we need to rethink our strategy of how we do supply chain. Um, for smaller companies, for bigger companies, because we're seeing some challenges that we didn't anticipate um, uh, beforehand. So I, I strongly believe that we need to pay close attention to the recent developments that we've had in the last two, three months, that we don't see that, that period of time as a period of time that will be over at some point. 
uh, however, see it more rather as, 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 as a way of understanding new possibilities, new creativity that we suddenly discovered within ourselves to try out different things. And we want to make sure that we want to be able to have this level of digitization starting point, very much the starting point and the structured data with all of our partners on our supply chain, um, because that way we are able to understand what is taking place right now and what may change in the future to, to make certain predictions um, on this. So I would say it's, it's something we are seeing right now in the center with our clients of new ideas that are suddenly arising in certain industries, even in other industries, um, you have clients coming to us and saying, you know, we did a small hackathon or small brainstorming session. Suddenly we had some time um, with our employees and, and this is what came out of it. Do you think this is something that we could work on? So I very much encourage um, um, all companies to, to listen to their employees because right now we are, you know, we have so many brains and sensors, human sensors outside at home who are witnessing and observing so many different things. And that's, it doesn't just apply to the uh, development team, the data scientist team, that needs to be diverse. Different perspectives always help. Yeah, it's everybody. And you, it's funny how you went straight into my next question, which was going to be about people. Uh, you know, we talk about AI as this uh, limitless power that is going to come in and take over all of the mundane tasks that people do. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, it leaves some people wondering whether or not, uh, what that means for them, what that means for the average person in a factory, in a, in a shop floor. Um, what are the kinds of questions that your, the companies you work with are asking you about people? That's question one. And then question two followed up by that is, where do you see the opportunities for people with AI? Mm -hmm. So I think for the first question, we typically have key decision makers here in the center and I typically have conversations with uh, only the key decision makers. So for them, the most, uh, or one of the higher priorities, obviously the financial aspect of how can we make this more effective? How can we make this more productive? However, even with those key decision makers, um, those conversations have changed in the last, um, especially in the last 12 months. So we've seen a number of examples where um, an AI system was being used externally where human beings were being involved in the outcome of the decision or the recommendation that was being given and it had a strong negative impact on that human being. So real consequences um, based off an AI system that we, that we perhaps developed together. Um, so now we are getting lots and lots of questions from those decision makers. Hey, when we get a, um, when we get a, um, a recommendation from the system, my own employee, my employees are asking me, why am I getting this? How I don't understand why this is the case. And I need to explain to my customer who's, who's, who's waiting for his loan, why he will not get the loan. Why is that the case? I, I've known the customer for the past 10 years. It can't, it's simply not true. I have the experience. So understanding how can we break open the black box of, of AI and understanding what data sets within the algorithm are causing this, this recommendation. Is there perhaps some bias in there that we, that we didn't pay attention to because we used old data sets from perhaps 20 years ago because um, the, that data set from that period of time is the only structured data set we have. And after that, we had unstructured. So, so, so Tilak, so are you talking more about AI complementing the work of, of, of people, you know, working together to make this happen? I, I think sometimes people see this as it's AI or a person. Are you, are you envisioning a future where it's both? It has to be 100%. So um, in my humble opinion, 
we are very, very far away from uh, an AI system that is capable of doing um, things by itself, unless those outcomes are very absolute. Let's take the example of the LCD panel again, you know, damage or not a damage. It's, 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 we can work with that. And what's the outcome if something goes wrong right now? It's about 10,000, 15,000, something like that along those lines. Um, we can still work with that. However, we know what the problem is right now. What we are seeing right now, though, is that we are still at this narrow AI stage of where we can solve one particular problem. However, as soon as external elements come into this, let's say, let's take the example, we've trained an AI system to identify horses, you know, because why not? We, we want to identify horses and we, we've deployed the system. Suddenly, we see a number of donkeys also in the, in the image. We didn't train the system to do this. Suddenly, the, the count is wrong. So how and what are we uh, doing to prevent these types of situations? This is where we need us humans. Um, so another big reason why we as IBM, we don't call it artificial intelligence, but augmented uh, intelligence. We are augmenting the human's intelligence, the human's employees right now, and providing further infos and further facts that may help with the um, overall decision that is being uh, taken place. And we have very small number of cases where this is fully automated, uh, only in those cases where there is no, right now no consequence to human beings. So that, that, that's the major, major thing we are telling also our clients. Um, we will not, we cannot work on a system in absolute most, most, most of the times um, to replace human beings because A, we are very far away from it, um, and B, is that something that we want right now? Is that solving the problem that you, that you are having right now? So I, li I like the way that you talk about augmented intelligence. And I, I guess that goes back to some of the things that we talked about a little while ago, which is um, when business, leader, business leaders or unit leaders go into a, someone like you guys and say, I want AI. They don't know why, but they know they have to have AI. Uh, it's probably because they're envisioning something to replace a human or to replace a mundane task. If you do you think that companies that go in with a position of um, I want to augment what my humans are doing, what my team is doing, I want to speed it up, I want to you know work on what I'm currently doing to solve this problem? Do you think they have more success? And and is that the kind of advice you would give to leaders? Absolutely. So typically, from from my personal experience here in the center, I can very much say that those clients who are um, from the very start, understand that this particular system will support the existing um, experts that they have on site. You know, as soon as that um, realization has taken place, we typically have in the next meeting those experts sitting at the same table. We make sure that we include their expert input, their experience, their vast experience from the past decades to make sure to include this in the system so that we build a system that is working for those experts and not the other way around. Um, in other scenarios, we've had the um, moments of we've had, um, you know, certain delays in the project because um, um, those experts were being pulled in way too late or um, the client has decided to do something else than what we initially agreed upon or there was a later um, understanding of um, how the system would actually be used in, in production. So I would very much recommend um, to see this as an augmented intelligence for all of the different areas that you see. Even, even if you decide not to go with IBM, please see it as an augmented intelligence. It will very much help you in the planning and pre-deployment uh, of your system. 
I want to move now to asking you about what's exciting about AI down the line. You know, uh, you know, for those of us that are not techie people, people like you that perhaps you can see the passion of AI coming to you. I mean, what's ahead? What does the future look like for, for mm -hmm. the use of AI in industry? Let me start with a personal example that I, or private example that, um, an anecdote that I witnessed a few years ago, because I think this, this offline example um, outlines how the future or how the future could look like in, in the space of AI. So I actually went to my uh, skin doctor about three, four, five, probably five or six years ago, um, about five or six years ago, because I had some so there's something around here. I went to my skin doctor and said, hey, look, I'm having some problems here. This was actually in Germany. Looked at me. And I was getting worried. Is everything all right? And it took him about three to four, five minutes. He didn't say a word. And then after five minutes, I started worrying. Oh, damn it. I, I don't want uh, well, to have fun. What are you doing to me? And after about six, seven minutes, he then said to me, Mr. Mahendran, um, I'm extremely sorry. I don't have experience with you know dark skin color or brown skin color and i just don't have a clear answer or i'm not able to give you a qualified answer i'm extremely extremely sorry however i have a colleague in mind which is why it took me so long i have a colleague in mind i'll give you his number perhaps you can you know contact him and i thought i found this extremely fascinating because my assumption at that point was previous doctors either didn't tell me or they didn't tell me that they weren't sure or they had that experience beforehand so I started to think, what does this mean for our AI systems? Because we are, it's us humans who are training these systems, right? What are we doing to, to make sure that we don't um, include our pride of, I don't want to let them know that I don't know this answer, uh, or our unconscious biases, you know? We have a number of unconscious biases. So IBM Research has actually identified 150 different unconscious biases that are relevant for AI system. And I'm happy to share this uh, perhaps in the show notes or in, in, in the extra notes there. Um, and I strongly believe that in the next five years, we will um, pay so much more attention to making uh, our AI systems more trustworthy. Why do we want to do that? Because we don't see um, acceptance outside of the business world as much as we would like to. And we strongly believe that we are able to achieve um, our next milestones much quicker if and when we are able to also include and pull in our society, because that's another big aspect and perspective that we want to include. Another thing which I think is exciting about this particular area is um, taking the example of um, the doctor, um, the skin doctor. Um, what, you know, his alternative right now is, or at that moment was, all right, I've let um, my patient know of the right experts and I need, to do, I need to do additional training now. I need to absorb lots of data sets. Obviously, us being us humans, it either takes us a long time to absorb large data sets or um, we are just genius and it works. But most of the times it doesn't work. Unfortunately, I've tried it out. I thought it was a genius <laughs> when I was younger. Unfortunately, uh, that, was, that didn't seem to be true. So I, I strongly believe that we will be able to adapt and change these systems at a much faster pace and understand also much more about us humans but how we think, why we think the certain way, because in this particular space, we, it's not just developers, not just IT people. We have people, so, sociologists, we have psychologi uh, psychologists who are working on this area to understand how we humans think. So I'm excited to see what the um, scientific outcome will be based on that, because this will very much affect our technology that we have here. 
Another thing which I'm extremely excited about is uh, the computing power. I strongly believe that in the next five years, quantum computing will become a thing. We know a number of uh, one particular um, um, IT company um, who we are friends with, but I should, probably shouldn't name their name right now. Um, they are actually releasing this as a service. So exciting, exciting things um, using a super duper powerful computer for about one hour to solve one complex problems so that takes us right now about a week or two. I think that's super fascinating. Well, that, that will only just uncover the possibilities of we as hum what we as humans can do. I guess if we're freed up from absorbing all that data, you know, crunching that data, the possibilities are, I guess, endless for our own human capacity. That, 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 that's something I keep telling, you know, um, outside of the, I keep telling my friends and people that I know outside of the business world or outside of the IT world, um, you seem always be, you always seem to be so confused why I'm so excited about this, but it, it will inevitably give us so much more time to um, concentrate on the, on the more complex issues because there is a good reason why we as humans are still alive on this planet after all. And I think we, we should make good use of this and we're trying to get to that point by using technology. And I think we're doing a good, good job right now. And we need further help from, from all aspects of this society to make sure that this particular system that we develop for a particular use case is actually serving the people at the end of the day. Let's talk a little bit about, um, the, we, we alluded to it at the beginning, which was the, the, the type of teams that businesses need to have in order to, I guess, I don't want to be cliche or corny and say, you know, the next generation or the next right. phase of business or whatever, but it is, it is different times, isn't it? We talked about skill sets. You talked about hiring more data people, but let's talk about diverse backgrounds because uh, what I mean by that isn't just the term diversity and inclusion. It's, it's, it's also about people from different positions, different uh, you know, different um, uh, professions, uh, different thinking. Do you think that that kind of diverse thinking is something that will help in the development of new technologies and the development of new business methodologies? Absolutely, I 100% agree. So to share some experience with IBM, um, I think about five years ago, we've decided um, we also want to reach out to, um, to, 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 to people without former education that we have recently, you know, in, in the past decades have always required, you know, you need a degree, you need a university's degree to start with this. Here in Germany, for example, we have a number of people doing vocational trainings and it's something that has a high reputation also within the society, which is, which may be different in other uh, countries. How can we integrate them into our workforce? Because they bring a specific uh, skill that we don't have. We don't, they, we have the specific ac academic view on, on things. And, uh, you know, it's not always... And, 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 and academic thing. thinking. I mean, we're sort of trained right. from being in kindergarten that you essentially solve a problem in one of two or three different ways, right? I mean, I mean I'm, you know what I mean? But like, we've sort of been trained how to be students, trained how to be academics, trained how to be engineers. And so it colors your thinking across the board. So going back to your example, you, you brought know, people in. Do they, do they think differently? Do they bring Absolutely. something else? So uh, I actually had a good conversation today during lunch exactly about this. Um, so a colleague of mine was telling me, you know, they were trying to solve one particular problem with another IBM and they were thinking, thinking you know, about half an hour, 45 minutes. And then one of the um, um, non-academic person um, 
has, has entered the room because um, they thought perhaps he has a good view. It took him 30 seconds. Like, Are you guys stupid? Why don't you just do it like that? So, oh, wow. We, 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 we didn't even think about this. And I thought that was so fascinating because um, these people, these, you know, these IBMers, um, those were quite senior people, 50 plus, I would say. So they've had 20, 30, 40 years of experience in the IT world. And before that, the academic world as well, right? So it made such a big difference. I thought that was fascinating. The second thing is, since we're speaking of academia right now, um, in the space of AI, in the, in the space of um, um, research uh, in academics for AI, did you know 85% of professors are actually male and only 15% are female? And um, we don't have clear numbers on, on, on backgrounds, on ethnicity. That's the one. Uh, skin color, those things, we don't have numbers on that. But that's another, you know, um, concerning number that we should think about what this could mean for our AI system because we are basing so many things on academia and research. So we need to make sure that those areas are also uh, well covered. We are doing this on a, on a, on a um, developer's team right now, on developer's level. Um, you know, when the client doesn't have enough developers, we try to um, uh, stock this up and make sure that we have the right balance of teams in there. All, all, it all definitely depends on the use case. You know, when you are addressing only 20-year-old males, perhaps it could make sense to have you know, a higher number, higher number of younger developers who are actually male to have to be in this team. But those are the questions that we need to, uh, we need to ask ourselves. Um, here within the IBM Watson Center, and since we have a number of projects that take place um, uh, pretty much on a weekly basis, um, we try to have a good mix in age diversity. We have a, try to have a good mix in cultural diversity, gender diversity, and um, especially when you are on those developers' floor, uh, it's uh, exciting to see that um, most developers are fairly similar despite their background, despite their gender. It's a similar uh, um, uh, nature mindset. of mindset. And uh, I love being there and I love being there with clients because it's just such a different world than the business world that I'm usually in. So let me ask you, I guess, um, the, some practical advice that you would give to, in this particular instance, because we're talking to supply chain leaders, practical advice in order to maximize the possibility of AI succeeding within their business. What, what would you say? Yeah. So um, I think going forward, there are a number of things um, that can be done. Um, one thing we have seen in the past year, which has become a hot topic, is the AI lifecycle. How can we truly understand the entire life cycle of an AI system? When does an AI system's life cycle end? Um, those types of questions we've just released now, um, you know, an AI fact sheets. So I can very much recommend this. Uh, this is actually open source coming straight from our IBM research team in the States. And uh, so they've released a number of, um, a number of questions and uh, a guide um, to better understand um, how we can include um, uh, uh, compliance, um, accountability into the algorithms. So the things that we didn't pay attention to in the first two to three years, where it was all about developing, developing, trying out new things. Now we need to pay attention to also understanding um, what are the local regulations. So as an example, here in the EU, um, the EU Commission is right now discussing um, a way of standardizing um, um, the ratings of AI systems. So if you are deploying this on the market, you need to be able to say, hey, these are the data sets we've used and these uh, is the 
AI can it will get because it's using XYZ. We're working on this right now with the European Commission, but we strongly believe it will make it will help a number of companies if we start this process already today with those companies. So a compliance accountability, I would say, is, is, a, is a bigger topic um, from an internal point of view. But also what we are seeing now is um, if you truly want to maximize an AI system, also make sure that you have the uh, correct documentation um, within, uh, within, within your company because it's fairly common um, from experience that data scientists go from one company to the other or those teams mix around and that knowledge gets lost. And once that knowledge gets lost, uh, and especially when the um, AI, when the algorithm is a black box, you know, you can very much just move it to the side and develop a new one. And that's something that you definitely want to avoid. And one thing that will help here is also making sure to include some sort of explainability into the model itself. So not for the end user, but into the model itself for your developers to understand what is taking place. And for this, we've actually released an AI um, explainability toolkit, 360 it's called. This is also hosted on GitHub um, where, um, you know, the companies listening right now or data scientists team um, listening right now, there are a number of algorithms and metrics included there to test your existing system against this reference to see if we can identify some sort of bias in, in, into the system um, because those are the elements where we've seen most of the damage being done to companies. Tilak, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for being part of FinTV and talking to us about uh, AI and the future and the possibilities and what we can expect and how we can maximize for it to improve and to improve our lives. Thanks so much for being on here. I really appreciate it. And I hopefully we'll see you again in another episode. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. For those of you watching, we'll see you again on the next episode of FinTV. Thank you.